All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the third episode of the Geek View Podcast. Uh, this is Kush here. Welcome back. And we also have Matt again for the third episode. Yo, what up? It's like, what up, my groupies? How's it going? Yeah, all our, all our dedicated fan. <laughs> Dude, I honestly haven't been... Like, I, I keep looking at uh, the analytics for the website, but I haven't really been able to figure out what exactly any of the stuff means. I'm a little oh, too stupid to understand it. <laughs> like, oh, man, we, that's we're funny. Either, we're either gaining, like, 40 subscribers throughout, like, you, you know, 40, 45 subscribers every day, or we're, like, you know, kind of just... Equ- kind of plateaued on like almost 50 subscribers hmm i don't know if we're getting 45 per day but yeah you never know maybe maybe our material's so good that everyone just wants to listen in i'm sure that's definitely the case (laughs) i couldn't even get that out without really laughing i'm gonna be honest (laughs) yeah yeah well now we have a third episode so that'll do it for sure that'll put us over the top and um Speaking of elitism, this this is what. Wait, no, we didn't really talk about elitism. I just read that on a news article. My bad. <laughs> okay. Good so, start. Anyway, um, since we're we need to start off, um, I think the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, the Cannes Film Festival banning Netflix movies and like streaming service movies in general from uh, participating in their, you know, just the, their style of. Uh, the film festival or the awards that they give out and things like that. And uh, yeah, like I, I obviously have thoughts on this, but like, I want you to go first and tell me, what do you think about it? I don't know. I mean, with that, I mean, they don't, the Cannes film festival, it's not like televised or anything, right? Uh, they have like massive, like media coverage, but I don't think it's like a live te- televised event or anything like that. It's not like the Oscars or something, right? Like we're like, no, whoever. No. They yeah. have a ton of media coverage. Like it, it, it's like a, a massive like uh, film related thing, and it's more along the lines of like these are like you know these. It, it's kind of ironic because it's the Cannes Film Festival is supposed to highlight the non blockbusters. It's supposed to highlight like the more artistic films and things like that, and like movies that are done well. But they're like taking out Netflix, which is you know massively involved in giving indie filmmakers a chance and things like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think I get it. I, that's what I generally was thinking because I was thinking about the Oscars and how they've evolved. Where it was like you know a limited five movies, but then it was like sometimes there's like more. Some years there's more than others, and some you want to pull in more you know interest for with a movie like like and a lot of people were saying that Dark Knight like you know it should be one of those movies that got pulled in because it's so popular and it draw interest in the Oscars because like you think of movies came out this year like three billboards. Like it's not really something that pulls in people or like the shape of water, but um, or the so darkest like, hour, yeah, like that got Gary Oldman his Oscar, but like, like it's historically kind of like doesn't touch on any of the bad aspects of what um Winston Churchill did. It's very much like a glorification movie, and it's like I think the tenth movie about Winston Churchill that's come out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but like, I know at the Oscars, like, you hear them trying to, you know, reach out, yeah. um, trying to, uh, you know, change their formula because it's more of a televised event and make it a little more appealing. To, it's still like a very critically like intense uh, process. It seems like they like you don't see like m- like superhero movies on there. You don't see like 
some more mainstream movies. Like Get Out was like a, I guess, a pseudo surprise. It seemed like it almost had no choice but to be in there because of like the attention and media hype it got. Mm-hmm. But obviously still a good movie, but you definitely have that feeling where it's kind of like, okay, like they're like, people really like this movie, so we have to throw it in. Like, yeah. I feel like other years this might not have happened. But with the, with the Cannes Film Festival, it seems more like almost a more exclusive club. Like it's not as big, you know, not trying to appeal to everyone. It's supposed to be like a certain like level of uh, like uh, artistic integrity or whatever they want to call it, you know. But um, I mean, I don't know. It seems weird like with Amazon and Netflix. I know like a lot of their, uh, you know, their content, like Netflix particularly is just trying to expand on original content. And um, sometimes, you know, it yields. There's like some diamonds in the rough. There's some like actual good movies, but you also get a lot of, I guess, you know, crappier movies where it's like, you know, you're just like throwing money at someone and just like hoping that, you know, they do a good job or just, you know, stir up additional viewership. So I can see why that might give it a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I personally, I think it's like kind of ridiculous to like ban it. It just seems kind of like dated to be like, oh, well, this is different. Like, oh, streaming music. It's like, it's, it's not buying an album that so just shouldn't count. But it's like, you know, I'm still listening to the song. I feel like this is a similar situation. It's just kind of like a dated thing. It seems like almost being defiant to like the changing of times and how movies are released. Like right now, you don't need a theater release. You don't need a huge studio. You just need like an idea and I guess like a Netflix uh, thing. But um, I mean, yeah, I just think it's a little a little dated of them. Um, you know, you like to see some movies get recognition. Like honestly, I can't think of like a Netflix movie that I've seen that's been like really really good. But I think to be like just blind to it just seems like a poor decision. I mean, so last year they had um, Okja. Uh, <clears throat> which was like one of the movies that they had competing for it at the Cannes Festival. They had Okja competing for like, you know, whatever their uh, Palme d'Or award or something like that. I can't really remember which award it was competing for, but they allowed Netflix movies last year. And um, like, so essentially like from what I, I kind of see the Cannes Film Festival to be, it's more of like this entire like, uh, all right, we're going to bring in like a bunch of European East Asian movies and things like that. And we're going to kind of like have this, uh, this worldwide competition for what is the most artistic film. Like most of the movies that are released uh, at the film festival, they don't really have any box office success. They're, they're very, um, they're very like, uh, I guess, uh, artistic based films. So I don't even really know how to describe it like that. I try to watch some of the movies, but like most of them, I I haven't really watched them. And they have their screenings and things like that. So um, that's like one of the things that I've realized about the film festival. However, uh, the Palme d'Or is like, it is considered like, it's kind of like the equivalent of like the Pulitzer for movies or something like that. And uh, I, I just find it really weird that like a highly, highly reputed film festival decides that just because a movie isn't really released on uh, the traditional, like, I guess, film screens or, like, you know, movie theaters, um, it does not count as, as like, uh, an artistic venture. And the, the, the fact that, like, uh, Netflix is one of the reasons why, why like, the, there's an outlet for a lot of indie filmmakers to kind of go and make, make these movies and make these documentaries or things like that. It's like, uh, it's just really weird to see so- something like that just get com- just taken out. Like we had Beasts of No Nation, that was also a Netflix movie. Um, yeah, Netflix kind of has like all of these um, 
like you know stories that come in from around the world and a film festival that kind of like prides itself on having like you know worldwide movies coming in it's kind of a really stupid thing to just be like all right we're not just we're just not gonna fucking allow these movies to um compete for such a really good price were they given a reason because you said they had a oak chill last year and that was a netflix movie so yeah. like what changed like did they have a reason or is it just like we're not doing it anymore so uh i guess the 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 guy who's i don't know whether he's like in charge of the film festival or he's like the co-founder or whatever but uh, he basically said that last year they selected two netflix films uh and they thought that by having these films come like you know release into um a film festival they would be able to like kind of release them into cinemas as well okay like, it was like a they kind of wanted to push these like netflix movies to go out into cinemas as well and that never happened so now they're kind of just like uh you know we don't consider it to be cinema we kind of consider it it's like the exact quote is the history of cinema and the history of the internet are two different things just like cinema does not mean that a movie has to come out on a big screen yeah it's a very traditionalist way yeah, yeah. Because like if you're doing that, then you're you're restricting the ability of a, a shit ton of filmmakers to be ever ever be able to do anything. And um, I think this kind of like uh, I don't know it accentuates or amplifies like a a system of like uh, elitism that's there in like film schools or like film festivals or something like that. And I, it was just very disappointing to see something like that happen like at at an age when like Netflix is actually not only is it competing on the levels of budgets, it's actually beating out certain film, co- like actual like traditional film companies on how much money they put in into making movies. Okay. I mean, and another note, I mean, particularly because Netflix, I know in particular, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't release like, you know, uh, reviews, doesn't have like, you know, critical reviews on upon their movie releases or like don't release statistics first off. Yeah. I would think like as a opposing view of like, oh, like they should like this company, like it's just like bad taste to do it. It's like almost why should they care in Netflix or like even current movie makers, like theoretically you're doing it for like, you know, to get a project out, not for like the recognition of the awards. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of movies that have come out that haven't been, you know, recognized nearly enough for what they've done. Mm-hmm. or even like nominated for anything and i think like and i think it's a possibility that like f- that like filmmakers shouldn't really be concerned about that like i definitely do believe like you know like oh you want to be a director your whole life like your dream is to win the palm and the or like like win win some like really prestigious award but at the same time it's it's also about like you know just making a movie to yeah. get the most basic yeah no um i think that's one of the things that, like um I, I guess this might be a controversial opinion, but if you're going to be um, a film director who at this point is trying to make a movie and says that like, you'll only consider it to be like a, a successful endeavor if your movie gets released in the cinema, uh, then you, you're more likely to fail than if you're like willing to compromise and realize that like you're more likely to get find success releasing the movie through, um, through basically like streaming services. Yeah, and I mean, I do think some great movies do get acknowledged, but like, like I think with the Oscars, like there's certain like directors, certain actors get favorited more than others, mm-hmm. and and there's always like that case where someone didn't get like nominated or 
like like I think of DiCaprio, like there's movies he should have gotten it for, but instead he got for the Revenant. You yeah. know, it's like it's either like they acknowledge heavily one person or like you know, they just give someone the award too late just because they can, you know, and it's not mm-hmm. like the stiffest competition. So I mean like I think they're flawed themselves where it's just like it shouldn't really be a concern for you of like a movie. Like if you made a really great movie and a really great lead actor, but you lost to like some other guy, like for a movie he probably didn't deserve it for, but he doesn't for a previous one. It's kind of like a little yep. disappointing, but I think it's more just like move on. Like it's just how it works. Can't really do anything about that. I mean, the but Oscars, I, have, uh, the Oscars have had a history of like doing these things where particular actors don't get uh, an award for the movie that they deserve, but they kind of get like a recognition award for another slightly lower quality movie that they do later on. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think these whole like uh, festivals are kind of flawed in their own right. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's still, you still want to see kind of like everyone get their own fair shot. Exactly. Like, you, you, even if it's not, if it's like, a, you know, you don't win the prize or anything like that, at the end of it, like, you kind of don't want to exclude, um, art just because of where it's released i think that's that's a very like narrow-minded view to kind of host a film festival or host like a artistic film festival and then just be like but we're going to be very restrictive on where we can uh where you know what can constitutes a movie that can be considered uh for this competition yeah definitely so i mean i'm sure it's similar parallels in different markets but yeah definitely it's a a closed-minded viewpoint for sure. Um, so speaking of uh, Netflix, I recently finished uh, Wild Wild Country. Or Wild Wild... Is it county or country? I feel like I should know this. It's Wild Wild Country. And this was very much a... I think after after how uh, Making a Murder took off, like these like um, detailed documentaries into particular events that happen in history or just particular things that have happened uh, have become like a huge thing. And uh, that's why I got to check out, like I-, I saw the trailer for Wild Wild Country and I don't know who put the trailer together for Netflix for this particular like uh, documentary, but this is one of the best trailers I've ever seen for like a documentary. Okay, that's impressive. That That just, yeah, like I had no idea about this thing until I'd say probably like five or six days before the the show actually released and the only reason i found it was like i was just scrolling through i can't even remember how it like fa- fell upon the trailer i was probably just like going through down the youtube rabbit hole yeah and i saw this like trailer come up for a, uh basically like um a, not like a controversial like indian guru who came to oregon and kind of like you know, built his own like you know, version of what a youtube utopian city is and things like that and it, it just seemed like it was kind of interesting but i, I didn't know it was like it was going to be the thing that i would really get into because there's so many documentaries that are released on netflix there's like a collection of things that you can never actually catch up on but then i saw the trailer and i'm like this trailer is so well put together that it actually got me hyped for the show yeah that's always nice plus it's only six episodes so it's pretty easily digestible Exactly. It's it's like a little over six hours worth of material. So you're you're basically watching like maybe three movies. That's what you're doing. And um, I, I have to say, this was um, 
a short review on Wild Wild Country, one of the things that I realized was throughout the entire show, from the start till the end of it, I never really picked uh, a side. Like, I wasn't like I'm on you know, the side of like uh, the people that are prosecuting them. Neither am I on the side of the people that are being prosecuted or the, the community or anything like that. Like, uh, it was, it, it just played it so well that it didn't really say, you know, like making a murder, you kind of always figured out that like they were kind of for, um, like, I can't remember. The Stephen time. Avery? Stephen Avery, yeah. It was kind of like on, in support of Stephen Avery in a way. Yeah, it was very one-sided. And um, that that was very much visible from the, uh, like a few episodes down the road. But making a murder at the end of, the, or not making a murder, Wild Wild Country. At the end of the show, I still wasn't sure as to like wh- whether there was any particular message behind it, like whether it was just like these people were wrongly prosecuted uh, and they were just like, trying to build a, a community. Yes, you know, you know, it was a weird community and it like stood out for its time and things like that. But it was the people in charge of this community that deserved to be prosecuted. Also, spoiler alert: if you haven't seen it, like uh, I'm, I'm no, definitely I not. Uh, that's like i'll try to be as um what do you call it like i'll try to be as vague as possible yeah that's fine yeah I can but like it, it's historical like it's it happened 30 30 35 years ago so like um it, it's just incredibly interesting and um i think it was incredibly well directed the music like the score of the show was fantastic that's uh that's one thing that like throughout each of the episodes just the underlying score i have no idea who the composer was but like props to the person and like at the end of it i have to say like i really enjoyed this show it was well put together i think it's got a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes still after like 25 reviews hmm. and uh yeah like I, i'm i would very much suggest that people just check it out because it, it has like um these like underlying political messages it's it's not like on anyone's side it just kind of like talks about what the government was like at that point and how people kind of viewed other people like even if they weren't really directly affected by it just the fact that something like this was happening uh bothered them yeah i mean with any sort of cult thing which is what like this is what i've read this is basically a sort of becomes or it's about it's um our community you know people call it cult from the outside um like it's always like this one thing outsiders looking in and being like disturbed by you know a change whether it's like you know usually good or bad like there's always like the bad side to it but um i think it's interesting that what you said about the the not taking a side because i've found that a lot of source material like you think of um scarface have a glorified the bad guy kind of everyone's like oh i want to be like scarface like but he like you know died and like killed the sister and stuff or his sister died whatever yeah um, yeah yeah, so it's like that amb- ambivalent, I guess, opinion or look at it is always interesting and always, I think, difficult to do because some people try, like, like with the you're saying, the making murder, like it's very one sided. But sometimes you see, like, with, like with some shows and movies that they try to make them sympathetic, mm-hmm. but end up making them kind of like badass as a result, which is what I think happened with Scarface. But I still, you know, it's a still enjoyable movie, and I still think it's well done. It's just like some are more glorifying than they mean to be, where it's like, you know, like. Yeah, like this is like, you know, it's like they see you see both sides of it. I think that's a difficult thing to master in many cases. That, that's I think one of the main things that sold me on this show as well. One of the main reasons why I'm recommending it is that like 
there were times in the show when uh, when I genuinely felt like more supportive of the cult itself. I'm just like I kind of I kind of understand what they're trying to do, even though like they have their own way of doing it and things like that. They're not essentially hurting anyone else. They're kind of trying to build a self-sustaining lifestyle and things like that. And yes, what their version of a lifestyle is is very different to like any uh, any particular like how any particular religion wants you to live your lifestyle and things like that. There was a lot of aspect of like free love and things like that, and um, kind of like getting all of your emotions out and like these videos that were put together that kind of showed how different um, general life was. Like the, the, when these interviews took place, and it's amazing that they actually were able to put together these like interviews of people that happened all the way back in like. I don't know the seventies or what when when this or early eighties when this particularly took place, and then kind of juxtaposed it to modern interviews of these same people. Oh, that's cool! It's this past and future. In the past and future. Oh, past and the present kind or of present. Yeah. So th- that's one of the things I really appreciate. But at the end of it, like I've I've felt like you know I, I kind of felt a little bit of support for the cult, but then I also felt support for the community. And then you again go back to like kind of feeling a little bit more on the cult side. And then you kind of see where the U.S. government is coming from. So it's just like this, this entire thing where you, you're like, it's got that weird, um, I guess, Breaking Bad style of uh, storytelling where what's happening is extremely flawed, at least on the level of um, the cult that was in place. Like the people that were managing it were doing some horrendous things, um, which like, you know, you kind of delve into deeper as, uh, as the show goes on. But yeah. uh, the the way that it plays with your emotions, but it doesn't make it melodramatic. It, it's just the direction and the music and like the, the the way that they use the interviews that they had that I feel like it made it into a fantastic like documentary miniseries. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to check it out. And isn't at the end, it's not like a big like, you know, Waco style explosion. It just didn't just kind of just like what like what happened at the end like with the cult i heard it just kind of like fell apart or whatever um like okay so spoiler alert but basically um the cult in oregon just fizzled out however the cult in its own like it's it's called like osho's uh cult or like i I don't know what it's exactly called but like they called the followers of osho which is the name that the the what do you call it uh i forgot the like the guru yeah that's kind of the name that he, he wanted for himself to like closer to his death and that's something that still exists like throughout the world that's also one of the things that surprised me is like this is about like a dude who came in from india and being indian i I didn't like really know anything about this like my roommates knew a little bit about it but i didn't really know um anything about this and like it was just uh very surprising to see all the things that happened and things like that but like i also really I found out uh, as you get towards the end of the documentary and doing like a little bit of research uh, outside of it that the, the I guess, following the cult, whatever it is you want to call them, the, at the end of it, the community still exists worldwide. Like it's there in so many different parts, almost on every single continent. That's crazy. So like, it's kind of very interesting to see how, how big of an effect this had. And the fact that, this was like a few thousand people that ended up like kind of creating a national scandal. So it, it's got like this like incredibly interesting aspect to it. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Cause when you think of these cults you, or 
communities or whatever they want to be called usually think of like when I think of I think of like uh, Charles Manson or Jim Jones or yeah. Waco David Koresh it's usually these things go down in a far more like lethal or violent type of way and that's gets more notoriety but this one the, the thing is I know there were some like slightly shadier aspects but it wasn't like full-on like didn't go out in a blaze of glory or like no you know, drinking punch or anything the, like that was one of the things that they even touched upon during the the like documentary while they were showing like uh i guess clips of people being interviewed all the way back when the when the things were happening but it was like right after the jim jones massacre or like the mass suicide that happened uh, uh so uh, there was a lot of people comparing uh was it was it jim jones oh that was a person right yeah yeah he was a religious leader yeah the jonestown massacre that's what it's called not the jim jones massacre uh, it was right in the wake of the Jonestown massacre, so like a lot of um, a lot of like what uh, what happened in the show, people would compare it to what had just recently happened. Uh, at least, like you know, for them it was recent. For us, it was like past, like you know, way way back in the past. So it's just like a really interesting thing. I, I genuinely think it's worth taking a look at. But wait, what was the question you asked me? I completely forgot as to what that was uh hold on um i I've honestly forgot i don't I remember <laughs> i don't remember if i did ask you something or what did i ask was it about i think it's about like the how they disappeared or how they oh which yeah, you basically it, explained they kind of fizzled out so they kind of fizzled out of oregon but it's like something that's existing still throughout like the world yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, I don't know, what I'm thinking when I hear this, it sounds a lot like the Waco thing in a way. Obviously, mm-hmm. Waco went out a lot more aggressively, but it's like, you know, the government intervened. And, like, in reality, the Waco situation, they were basically going to surrender. And, like, the government kind of, they got a little impatient. They were just like, let's go in. I don't yeah. know if it was local police or whatever, but they just went in and shot it and, like, you know, killed everyone. And it's been That's a whole just- big issue. But um, the ATF and the FBI, it wasn't even like local police. It was the anti-terrorist, uh, like anti-terror uh, firm. No, what what does ATF stand for? Isn't alcohol, tobacco, firearms? Oh, yeah. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco. Oh, uh, holy shit. I always thought it was like anti-terrorism something. Uh, okay, no, they, so, yeah. no. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms uh, and the FBI. Those were the people that were involved. Also, I'm pretty sure that they're doing a show on Waco as well, right? Yeah, right now that's what I was like gonna say because like they're doing a show, and what I heard was they didn't do a, like the leader. I think it was they made him more sympathetic than he should have been, or mm-hmm. some or like the other way around. I heard like because I think of like the shows that are out because so because Eleven loves like true crime, like because these things are fascinating and they're things yeah. that people remember because they're not too long ago. But I mean, it just just kind of you know it's kind of odd and. I think it's very fascinating to people, but like with the Waco comparison, it's kind of like, you know, in these both cases where it's like, they're not necessarily dangerous. It's more of the fear of the idea of that, that kind of causes, you know, people to react negatively. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, yeah, there's definitely a difference because like Wild Wild Country was more along the lines of like, you find out as they started getting attacked by uh, people. So then they ended up taking up arms as a way to like kind of, just be like, if you're going to attack our community, we are going to defend ourselves. But like, you know, if you're not going to attack us, then like, you know, we're, we're not going to be doing anything. We're just going to keep living our life. Yeah, that's what I heard. You know, like it becomes more and more militarized. 
like unnecessarily, but kind of just like to protect themselves just in case. Yeah, yeah. It became a very much like uh, because they ended up hosting like not not hosting like having training sessions and like having an actual like militarized um, like I, I guess like uh, what's the like a uh, well regulated militia in a way. That's the best way to put it. Like that's what they ended up having um in their community in itself as time went on and like i think the the community was in oregon for almost like four years so it was a a decently long amount of time yeah it's that's a yeah adequate amount i mean usually just don't last very long because it just something happens that rubs someone the wrong way and then everything goes to shit basically yeah yeah it's a good way to put it but um yeah uh, I'd highly suggest checking out Wild Wild Country. Like, it's something that I'm going to recommend to people. Uh, yeah, the idea intrigued me. I definitely wanted to check that out when I had the time. And, uh, well, speaking of uh, what's happening with true crime and things like that, you have been keeping up with uh, Versace, or what, what's the full title of that show? American Crime Story, The Assassination of Gianni Versace. I just call it Versace because it's far easier to say. Yeah, yeah, it's like um, I, I, I haven't really kept up with. I, I remember we watched the first episode when it came out, or like the day after it came out. Yeah, and then I didn't really keep up with it. Like, although I, like, this is this basically the second season of People vs. OJ. It's the same show creators and everything like that, right? Yeah, same show creators. It's like a an anthropology, not anthropology. Is it anthology? Okay, yes. I was thinking the store. Um. <laughs> But yeah, it's an it's a anthology series, so it's like similar creator, same creator, but like different uh concept. Like this is one's also based on a book, apparently. Mm-hmm. And I know that you know the Versace family is not particularly fond of that. They thought the book was a little exaggerating at times, and obviously the show would naturally follow that, partially because of design, partially because you know you want to be a little more dramatic for TV. Um. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm still like, uh, like oh, I, I, yeah, yeah, I was kind of like just listening. Like, I, I never really kept up with it, but like, from what I, from what I know, you told me this. Like, the first series of kind of like the first season, uh, from having watched it, like, and you know, kind of discussed it, it followed a very chronological, like, style. Like, it was kind of going like year after year, or not even year after year, but like day after day and things like that. Whereas this was very different. It wasn't chronological at all. Yeah, it was weird because what, like, I, I didn't realize it at first. But then like, when you catch it, you're like, okay. But because you keep the dates at first and you realize, oh, it's going reverse chronological order. And mm-hmm. then the last episode, it brings it back to the present. But like, well, 1997 present or whatever. But basically, you start off with the murder of Versace. It's like one of the first scenes you see. And it's just... I think it's interesting because you think the show, you think it's going to build up to the murder. Like, oh man, like, well, how'd this guy get here? But then in reality, it hits you that he's murdered right away. Yeah. You're just like, oh shit, that was quick. But um, I liked the, the choice of that because it makes the story different. It's not just like, it's like how the public saw it. Like, yeah, there was a manhunt for Andrew Cunanan, but mm-hmm. it's definitely more public, public, pub, publicized yeah, when, yeah, um, with public. Versace's murder. Because, like, I mean, my mom remembers Versace murder. Like, she just remember, like, the other characters. They're much smaller. So, in reality, it's like, okay, he murdered Versace. It's like, but then, like, as a, like, almost, like, deducing it yourself, you're kind of like, okay, like, he killed him. Like, 
And then it's like, now, like, what happened? Like, why did he? And you go back in time. It jumps around a lot. I think the first episode jumps a lot more. It goes to where he actually supposedly met Versace and then his, like, at the end when he kills him. And then it keeps going back and back through his other various murders. And, I mean, there is definitely, like, each episode like for the first few ones were dedicated to the murder of each individual person. And you see his connection with them. Usually first what you see is the murder. Then you mm-hmm. see the connection. So it's kind of like, Oh, who's this random guy? And it's like, you learn, okay, he was this person. He interacted with Andrew in this way. And he got murdered basically because he either was, cause you see in a lot of situations, Andrew will, Andrew Cunan and the murderer was, as the show portrays him like a very petty person very uh he he's very self like uh very conceited i guess he always thought he deserved more but he never really wanted to work for it and he was all about you know flaunting what he had like one of the murders he does lee miglin who's like this really nice guy but he's an older guy and Mm -hmm. one of the things you see that bothers andrew is that he's not very assertive. He wants to, you know, build something for this a charitable cause, not name it after him. He just wants to have it to, you know, for people to enjoy. And he's like, but Andrew sees this, Oh, like as, you know, being weak and effeminate or whatever. And, you know, he just says like, Oh, I can't have this. He kills him. And then another murder was basically built off of jealousy where he had this friend who was in the Navy. Uh, I forgot that character's name was, but he basically, murders him because he was jealous he was flirting with his other friend yeah yeah which really kind of like just which i think was the first murder actually overall in the show but and the weird thing is this is all true like it's not like this isn't just a story that's like made up or anything like that he actually did commit all these murders yeah that's the cool thing i mean the thing is you definitely know they fill in some blanks there's a lot of one-on-one conversations that there's no way they would have known but you think they've done, I think they've done an admirable job. But, you know, the facts are the facts. These murders, like, they all happen. Like, they're not made up. These characters are actual real people. Mm-hmm. And then, like, one of the most, like, dramatic murders, really, like, not even the Versace one, was the one of this character, David, who is this uh, small town, like, architect who is very, who becomes very successful at some point. But Andrew sees this as, like, the perfect life, which you learn in the in the further in the past where his mother's consoling him and talking about like hey, you want to have a nice house a family like or or was his dad maybe telling him like this is the life you need to have to be like a successful american so david so uh no so uh andrew kunanen grasps on this idea desperately even though it's not who he is he's very as you see in the later episodes very superficial very mm-hmm. uh very dedicated to being like try to impress someone all the time yeah, and david yeah. is this guy who he's really trying to impress which he does at first but just eventually sees through this shallow guise andrew's you know very deceptive likes to lie a lot and just like basically saying like we all know someone who's like that just like the lies to impress other people but there's always a certain point where you're just like you know i don't care like they, you're just saying this like i i just want to hear something true like you just it's hard to you know be a part of but um and going back, they do eventually have like second last episode where you introduce to Andrew's dad, who I guess you get in the whole nature nurture debate, but basically, you know, treated Andrew like he was a king. But then mm-hmm. you find out this guy kind of was like a little bit abusive to their mother. He wasn't as close with the other kids. 
because they had I think he had like uh, Andrew Kunan the two siblings that you just see pretty much like ignored he's like the one they prop up like the one the dad's super proud of and tries to make like his everything basically so he's kind of like the selected child and kind of had like uh you know his experience or like his early like developmental experience was very different from the rest of his family and that affected him to the point of the fact that like he kind of realized that he does not realize but like he kind of made up his mind that he deserved the best possible things and uh if they didn't come to him, then, then that kind of meant like it was someone else's fault. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's basically it, really. That that whole scene's, I think, were the most like base, like direct. We're seeing like Andrew gets everything he wants and he deserves it, so he should have it. But you know, he never really earns it in this case. But then you also see the parallel with his father too, where his dad, you know, was from was it the Philippines? He worked his ass off. He gets a job at a Merrill Lynch. Mm-hmm. But he eventually you find out he slowly loses that he working at a low tier company and basically scamming people because he's unable to keep up. He, I guess, he goes in a little bit over his head. You know, he buys a huge house. He tries to treat his like, particularly Andrew, but the entire family like, like they're worth more than they are. But eventually, you know, the law catches up. He leaves the country, and um, Andrew eventually follows him, all upset about this and. The dad's basically like, I had to do this for you. Like, he's basically like, everything was for you. Like, you didn't care if I was stealing, if, if there's food on the table, kind of like that whole, like, uh, emotional confrontation where the dad's kind of like blaming him, basically saying like, oh, you didn't ask where the money came from. So, like, you're at fault almost. It basically yeah, breaks yeah. Andrew down, like, emotionally. And it's just like, you almost feel bad for Andrew Cunanan, but then, like, this, the rest of the show just betrays him as, you know, I can't say that, you know, if he had a better upbringing, he probably wouldn't have gone to these extremes, but you definitely know, like, you can't forgive him for everything, you know, this murdering people, not cool. But, um, yeah, you have something else you want to throw in there? Um, like, I only, let's see, altogether, I probably watched about, like, two episodes of the show, and from what, the, like, the idea that I kind of got of, like, um... Johnny Versace's character is basically like uh, the MacGuffin. Like it's the uh, he's he, he's not the central figure of the show at all, even though his name is like on the show. But like at the end of it, like the main character is Kunanan, and then like Versace is kind of like the object that's there throughout the entire show that links it all together. Yeah, that's definitely a way to look at it. Um, he's basically Versace becomes a symbol for Andrew, where it's like this ultimate rich successful guy which in like the last episode andrew has this which appears to be the fu- the the rest of their interaction because it shows them at the at their date him and versace in the first episode but in the last one it shows where he's like andrew's like oh i want to work with you i want to travel with you and he's like versace like you you need to earn it you know it's not just like i didn't just come here and just do this and, you know, Andrew's a little upset and Versace almost sees through him because Andrew lies about being, a, you know, a, an author, like writing a novel. But then he switches like, oh, I want to, you know, design dresses. I know things about fashion. Mm-hmm. And it's just you just get this feeling that they, this Andrew couldn't understand. And that probably and that frustrated him with Versace. Like you play it off like, oh, I used to know Versace, but, you know, I, I wasn't into him kind of that whole lie or like when someone breaks up with you, but you play like, oh, like, no, I broke up with her or whatever. So you get that kind of like 
jealous pettiness almost that he couldn't have it and that it wouldn't be given to him. And that in turn made him very, like very angry about that. So, um, like one of the things that I've kind of realized, uh, you know, through watching like a few of the episodes and thing, like a couple of the episodes was, um, he kind of weirdly reminded me of the Joker and like, this is a bit of a stretch, but it was the aspect of like his story, like the, the, the story that he kind of told people about his life or what he does or things like that. It changed so much by person to person and it didn't really like it didn't really phase him like he was almost sociopathic about it yeah i mean that's basically how this comes up but i mean that makes sense because it does change both their characters are kind of like that in a way andrews is basically just like because i feel the joker is more of like a you know a a self-righteous character he's kind of like you know doing it for himself where andrews kind of like this is what someone wants to hear so i'm going to say this but I mean, it'll only last for so long, like any meaningful relationships, almost impossible because he's so almost insane. Yeah. yeah. But um, an interesting, like, wait, sorry, were you? Uh... I was just going to say like everything that he was saying is essentially a lie. So like it kind of also deters the aspect of having a healthy relationship with any of the people that he wanted to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's basically what it is. But um, an interesting thing I liked at the end was um. Well, I mean, it wasn't like super happy or anything, but Versace, uh, Gianni Versace has this boyfriend who he's been like basically dating for 10, 12 years. And mm-hmm. once Versace dies, he talks to uh, Donatella, who's played by Penelope Cruz, who I thought was okay. But she's basically just like, I know he promised you a house, but the company owns everything. So you're getting nothing. Yeah. And this guy basically just overdoses and kills himself. And I always thought this character, he was such a minor character, but a very interesting point at the end. Because there was one point where he's like, uh, like talking to Versace when they're both alive. He's like, I love you so much. And Versace's like, oh, you only love me at night. You know, like where this guy like thinks he, it's kind of like a parallel to Andrew where it's like, I forgot what the, the guy's name was, but this, this boyfriend of Versace basically in a similar way to Andrew thought he almost deserved more than he earned. Mm-hmm. where he like he was he probably did like Versace but it was more just like I love like his riches of, yeah yeah like uh, this I guess the material aspect was also something that just made the relationship a little bit better that they had yeah because I didn't get this feeling like he was super selfish like as selfish as Andrew but they almost in a way you kind of do see that he's kind of like at the end it's like so do I get my house now and there's just like when he couldn't, he, you know, basically just overdosed, which is, you know, basically the same thing happened with Andrew, where he shot himself once they found him. He realized mm-hmm. it was over. Like, he he wanted to, like, they like they arrest one of his friends in the last episode, and it's like, if you're looking for Andrew, like, he's trying to be found. Like, the whole thing for Versace was to get himself famous. Like, he was almost excited. Like, you see in the show, he, like, stays this, like, hidden house on the water. And it's not even that hidden, really. Just no one looked there until, like, the end. But he had all the TV set on. I mean, who knows that actually happened? But he like put on every news report about him, yeah. And it was just like you know all about him, and he was soaking up the moment. Did like, they ever deal into like an aspect of like, um, like he kind of found a little satisfaction from the self obsession that he had by seeing every news outlet dedicated to him? Like, was that something that they ever touched on in the show? Um, yeah. I mean, in that last episode particularly, definitely. 
you see about that. I mean, I know at some point he heard in the radio about them hunting for him. So he like changed the plates or took another car. But like at the toward the end, when the Versace thing happened, I think he was more happy. But you see also in another scene where he's watching Versace's funeral and, you know, praying along with them, which is almost ironic. It's like he didn't want to kill him, but it's like mm-hmm. he did it for himself because he knew that was like the best way to become successful. Or like, you know, famous. His thing was like being famous, being rich. And like, I guess in the end, he at least got the fame, but more of an infamy type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's like the show is interesting. It takes like a tragedy type of vibe, but also I think there's almost some horror elements, like that, that episode where he kills one the uh, David's friend, who was also his friend. I can't remember the character's name or the actual person's name, but it was a very horror element. Like the music they play was very ominous. You get this uh, settling feeling. The person from the navy who gets like hammered to death or something like that. Is that yeah, that. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah that episode definitely yeah. had this like sense of dread and fear. And I've heard like a lot of the show compared to as almost a tragedy for these people because you learn like some of them have sadder backstories, like this Navy guy in particular being kicked out of the Navy, basically like a, like a volunteer, a, a forced retirement because he was gay. Mm-hmm. And like he definitely had probably one of the harder lives. And you really just like, it's just sad to see that this guy, you know, just murdered such a cruel way but and then i think that's what's interesting about the show is that there's different episodes that have different type of emotions there's like tragedy there's there's a euphoria in some ways they like to you know juxtapose a lot of things like you see like versace coming out as gay and like the as a big bombshell in like the 90s then you see this guy in the navy who has to have his face blacked out and his voice altered so they can't tell who it is talk about his story so there's like good and bad and it's just it's very well i think it's a very well done show and at the end i found the ending a little less than satisfying you see kind of andrew even though he's you know happy about his fame also like like basically emotionally and physically breaking down like he can't really go outside because he's like wanted he tries to leave but he can't escape miami so he's basically stuck there and he just try- bides his time until it's too late okay okay uh, <laughs> I mean, you definitely have a lot more from the show itself because you watch the entire show. Whereas, like, the only thing I really had to contribute was, like, those two episodes on, like, the... I, I really liked the the way that they kind of did cinematography in the show. That's one thing that I realized, like, from the very first episode itself. Yeah, I think that definitely carried over with the people of vote, people versus OJ. I thought the score was also very nice. I remember there was, like, when they, they had the OJ verdict in the first season... It was super dramatic music, like almost ominous because you know what happens and you know, like, even though they f- proposed this, like a ridiculous defense case and like this very well scientific uh, prosecution, it's just like, it just, in the end he was free and it was just yeah. not a thing they could really control. But um, yeah, I think that that really is impressive how it carries over. Like this is definitely a less star studded cast, but. Definitely Darren Chris was doing a fabulous job as Andrew Kunan and being this kind of psychotic, uh, uh, self-absorbed guy with murderous tendencies, you know? I think he did, I, like, I haven't, he's in Glee, apparently. I haven't seen Glee, but, like, it's definitely something I guess you wouldn't expect from a show like that to have no, that, know, I think actor of that caliber. Literally the, what, like, what I 
know him from was uh, I remember he was on like one episode of Supergirl, and like before, like looking at the IMDb page, that's like one of the main things that I realized was this guy did Supergirl, he did Glee, and then like, but like what he kind of, you know, it's a weird transition from like a like a person who's like in a very I guess like a, a show with like levity um, and then going into a, an even more levity based show because Supergirl at the end of it is like kind of just like a, you know, it's a very like lighthearted show and then kind of doing this. It's just a huge range that you're kind of seeing. Yeah, I, I think of like actors like Rami Malek when I like, like his most notable role was playing King Achman Ra in the fucking yeah, like from uh, the museum. I was like, museum, really? Yeah. Like that's who what he's from? So like I've never seen this actor, and now he's getting a lot more roles. I assume a similar thing will happen with a uh, with Darren Chris, but I definitely thought like overall it was a very well put together show. And the thing that was I found the most different was that with the first season, People vs. OJ, there was so much more source material because everything was televised. Mm-hmm. While in this case there was a lot less facts. There was like the murders there was the and that was basically it like you basically had to rely on other people's accounts of things like his upbringing you can only assume like i don't know if they, they did talk to his actual mother or what or even the father for this book or what the story is based off of but you know there's so few characters that could really know him this well and it seems such a, like a private part of his life that became so dark and violent so quickly that they're forced to fill in the gaps a lot even you with the book i still think it was an impressive challenge and I definitely do think there were some episodes, like I thought the Descent episode, which basically shows him like with other people interacting with these people he eventually kills and just how his mind slowly like becomes more jealous yeah, yeah. and reacts a little more negatively to people. It's um and almost his like petty side and his dangerous side that's actually scary. But I thought that episode was almost a little rush. Then you feel some other episodes they're very deliberate at their time. Mm-hmm. and the ending i feel like they could have made it more climactic in a way i mean in the end it's kind of you know just like he kills himself and that's it but like i think almost showing this deterioration from you know being confident about doing it to realizing like what do i do like they didn't i don't think they made it as urgent for his character yeah, but yeah. I still, you know you felt closure at the end and i still think it was definitely a great uh great few hours of television only nine episodes they're an hour each, but I think they go by pretty quickly because it's a very compelling story that you really would not know anything about. Like, so, so it's fair to say, like, the, uh, the show, even in terms of the cast and everything like that, like, the show was definitely, uh, like, between season one and season two, there's, like, a, I guess the hype behind season one and, like, the amount of money that was put into it and the actors that were brought in, there was a whole lot more behind it. Whereas, like, season two is, like, a kind of a smaller, more, more, cons- like, uh, I guess, precise and, like, more, I don't know how to put it. Like, it's just, like, smaller in a way. That's what I kind of felt. No, absolutely. Like, I see a ton of posters out for it, and they're starting to come down now and placed by other things. <laughs> but with the first season basically attracting hype, and I think it did, a like, a, obviously, like, I think it's tough to compare anything else to it, but... yeah. Like you saw ESPN release that eight and a half hour, you know, uh, OJ documentary that won awards and stuff. And you see a lot of other like OJ has is getting released from jail. So I think they timed that show with a bunch of good actors or popular actors with like, you know, OJ being released soon, like a, a, the parole about to be uh, about to be given parole. 
and then like you know the OJ thing happening in the past. I think it was a very good timing for that. And you know, I know a ton of people that watched it. I mean, like it was a great show, so I can't blame them. But I think just the combination of just the timing mm-hmm. and the source material is just like people. It's like nostalgia usually has a tw- like what 15, 20 year buffer or something like that. I think it's closer to twenty for this. But um, you get that whole like, oh, I remember that. Like that was so crazy. Like, I remember when they turned off, you know, the Knicks champ. The was it the division championship or the finals for game? The, yeah, yeah. For the chase, yeah. It's like it's like this is like a crazy that, time. It was like televised. The huge turning point for news in general. It's when they realized that like they could get a whole lot more viewership by having, uh, you know, not covering like news and detail or anything like that, but having these like explosive clickbait headlines or something like that like yeah yeah i heard of one of the big things that popularized and like sensationalized these uh real life like uh like what do they call those shows uh reality shows like kind yeah, of spawned yeah. that whole genre of reality shows and i mean i don't know history of them I'm sure they oh, had like- some that existed before but this definitely was like the thing that pushed that whole thing because people want to see like ridiculous things happening to real people no, it's it's kind of like uh, it pushed reality shows. It also pushed shows like uh, Cops or To Catch a Predator or Jerry Springer and things like that. Just like like uh, like something that like it doesn't really happen in your life, but it's a sensationalized version of uh, of what you not even it's not even sensationalized. It's like it's actually like it's happening, but it's happening to someone else, but it's not happening to you, and that just makes it interesting in a way. It's like a weird thing for humans to kind of like appreciate the downfall of like other people more. But like, it's one of the things that I, I realized was uh, like, this was like the changing point for how news was covered for sure. But it also gave a boost to like these kind of shows. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. And with the Versace murder, I think it was less of an impact. Like people remember it, but there wasn't as big of a thing with that. Like, yeah, I know yeah. Versace was celebrated, you know, when he came out as gay, and that was a very, you know, unique thing to happen. But with people like Andrew and other the other characters in the show who were also gay, you see how they're treated very differently. It's a, it's a blatant disrespect and occasional violence, which is a little scary. Yeah. Which is another thing they try to push to varying degrees of success at times. But you definitely see this. It's, again, just the position where it's like, oh, Versace's famous who gets to be gay but like he's like when andrew's talking to this uh sale this a uh, navy guy he's like oh you know versace gets come out gay and that's fine but you have to hide that you shouldn't be hiding mm-hmm. but but this guy's you know i don't want to like i i have no choice and it's and it's kind of true and it's a little sad at the time you know we had the whole don't ask don't tell stuff and just some of it's kind of shocking to see but like it's definitely a cultural impact to to like a certain group of people, but not really like OJ was everything. Like, a, like you said, change the media. This is more of a smaller scale thing. It was basically just a, you know, a passion murder, but still like an impact in some way. Um. Yeah. Like it's, I think the best way to put it is like, I kind of, viewed it as like they got uh there was a big change and they kind of made it more yeah it was more of a character study whereas season one or like american crime story season one or whatever like i guess people versus oj that's best word, but people versus oj was more of like let 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 me tell you the story of what happened 
but it wasn't like a massive like character study. It didn't really go into depth behind every single character that was in the show. Kind of just like went through the motions of what was happening at that point. Whereas this seemed a whole lot more like, yes, Johnny Versace is going to be like the famous character and things like that, but we're going to tell you these like smaller people that were involved in like this huge thing that happened and actually delve deeper into what these people, like, you know, what made these people who they were and things like that. So it was definitely like more of a character piece than a storytelling piece. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something I've thought of as well. There's a very, it's like a character study of all these people. You just learn like, okay, like who is this person? And as you watch more and more, you learn more and more about them. Like usually it's like you just introduce them as them being murdered or you introduce them in a brief interaction with Andrew, but then you learn further in the past, like this is what happened at this point. This is like who this person was and how they, how they're like, like who they were as a person and then like how they go out basically. So yeah, definitely character study. You see all different types of people and different challenges they faced. And it's, you know, it's definitely an impressive piece of art and a well done show. Do you think there's going to be, well, this is going to be like the last topic of discussion that we have, but like, um, do you think that shows like these are going to find like more of a more of an outlet now on streaming services kind of like tying it back onto like netflix and amazon and things like that um yeah that's a a good thing um no continue sorry yeah it's just like uh, these are shows that were not really a thing while like growing up or anything like that like true crime was a a genre for novels but it wasn't really like let's make tv shows out of this let's make mini series out of this but uh, like having been produced they're they're definitely taking off and they have a small fan like they have a smaller base but it's a very like uh i guess passionate base behind it yeah i mean i definitely think it's something that's for sure up and coming because there's so much source material that happened fairly recently i feel like the key is that it's easily recallable and something that's very big and sensationalized. So it's something that there's a lot of source material and you could write about. But I'd say like they already have shows like that. Like obviously like Making a Murder is more of a documentary than that and like the Wild Wild Country. But I also think of like something like Narcos, which maybe isn't as, you know, doesn't have as much historical integrity, but it's definitely, you know, all the facts are there. Like these people died here, this happened to this guy. Like I, I think it's already happening. And like if you watch like I watch Narcos it'll give me like a million recommendations of Pablo like Escobar shows. And it's like, <laughs> I don't really want to watch that. No, but I but think with that, that type definition of show, it's... like an oversaturated show, like for the moment Narcos came out and the like 50 other things about Pablo Escobar just came out. The fact that there's like three more movies about Pablo Escobar coming out in the next two years. Yeah. I mean, my problem with it is that with, with the true <laughs> crimes that there's, there are a lot of, tr- of crimes, but there's only so many you can do. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you watch, like, I watched People vs. OJ. I was interested in the OJ documentary. But, you know, I didn't really, like, like I'm, I found it very fascinating in some cases. But it's just, like, I don't think I'd watch another TV show that was based on the OJ murders, you know. It's it's one of those things where it's, like, you touch into it and you're interested. Like, maybe I'll read, like, the Wikipedia about it because I'd be curious about some facts. But I don't think I'm going to watch, like, more OJ shows. Like, I'm not, I haven't really, I've watched, like, three parts of the documentary. It's just, like eventually just fades because it's just you know a singular character so i think it's in a way you have to be you choose your topic wisely mm-hmm. like that waco show i heard was like like i, I think waco is interesting concept but i heard it wasn't um 
it wasn't as like successful. It didn't do a great as good of a job as it could have done. And I mean, I just hate Taylor Kitsch, so yeah, it doesn't really <laughs> make it much better. It doesn't make it much better for me. But um, he's kind of like the worst part of uh, True Detective season two. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I like to say he ruined that, but honestly, it was so bad overall. I don't yeah. I really can't blame him. He was just a bad part of it. It was just like another thing. Just like if the show didn't include you, it might have been a little better. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, true crime. It's weird. Like, I don't think I'm not sure when or if we'll ever see like a movie. Like, I'm wondering if like, do you ever think something like we'd see? I don't think it'd be like OJ, but something like that, or like oh, like a Jonestown thing. Like, you think that'll ever happen? See, that, that's the thing. Like, uh, there's a lot of, like, crime-related things that have happened in history that would be interesting to kind of go into. Like, Jonestown is one example. If the material is available, will be a great thing to delve into as to, like, what led to people, fall, you know, falling for this entire thing. Like, what was, uh, what was in the entire subculture of people believing, uh, you know, we should kill ourselves and this is going to happen. And like, why, why do people believe in this? Because it's still relevant to this day. There's still fanatics that exist and there's still that aspect of it. So like, I, I feel like true crime is extremely... Oh. That was loud. Uh, <laughs> there's still uh, fanatics that exist and things like that. So like, the, the entire thing is like, if the material is available, I think true crime is a fantastic thing to delve into like it could be uh like i guess the a comparable thing to like what superhero movies are like for movies true crime could could kind of be like that for tv shows yeah so you don't think it has much crossover appeal for a movie per se i i think it's hard to do true crime as a movie because then it just kind of becomes like like, uh, most of the movies kind of just, like, fall through the cracks when it comes to something like that. Like, what you remember is things like maybe, um, I don't know, like, uh, Seven or movies like that. But I think it's hard to kind of do true crime in two hours. I think it's it's very possible to do it in ten. Yeah, I, I was having the same opinion as you. Um, yeah, because also, I think another thing is with it, with movies, like, obviously, if it's on Netflix, it's easier to watch, but... Say, like, you, no one's going to pay to see that. Like, it's kind of more just like, oh, it's on. I want to check that out because it sounds mm-hmm. cool. I remember this. It's not really, a, like, it is, it is, it, I would say maybe it's not a spectacle. Like, you think of, like, I like got movies, more of a spectacle. But this is kind of like a whole thing. You have to get into the story, into the characters, like, kind of, like, reminiscing about this stuff. It's not really meant, you know, not very climactic, Sorry, no. it's climactic but not yeah. super over the top. I think there's definitely more of a base for something like this through a streaming service. I think it's hard to kind of develop demand for it, you know, by day-to-day, like, you know, figures of how many viewers you're getting or something like that. But the fact, if it's available, like, if it's available online, if it's available on Amazon Prime or if it's available on, uh, like, it's kind of like how I would say why Man in the High Castle did so well, at least for its first season, was that, like, it would be hard to sell that show on broadcast or cable television. But to sell that show as like something that's online that you can watch at your own leisure and things like that. And it's like, all right, you know, it's late into the night. Let's start up Man in the High Castle and see what that show's like or something like that. I think it's true crime miniseries can definitely find a way to kind of expand uh, into this market through Netflix or things like that. And I, I think it's, it's like a fascinating thing to do because 
it's got implications that roll over past um i guess the best way but like roll over past the tv show and kind of like talk about like the human sub like humanity and like uh the, the subculture that exists in different parts of the world and things like that yeah it's interesting you said that because i was just thinking of um a miniseries i saw on hbo show me a hero which is a, another historical documentary about this town in a well it was i think what was it it was a yonkers in new york and basically they had to uh create like a cheap um like a more affordable housing which would allow more you know minorities in the in the community and like a lot of people protest this very aggressively and the new mayor that basically runs it defends them it basically defends this policy yep and in the end like faces a bunch of like humiliating historical like these defeats and in the end is brought to basically to kill himself. So it's like one of those tragic hero type of moments. And when you read the history, it's not, you know, hundred percent. Like they make him seem very noble in the show. It's a uh, start by uh, Oscar Isaac, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking it up right now. That's fascinating. Yeah. I remember like, I just was, it sounded interesting. So I watched it. It's, you know, six episodes, very easy to watch. Like your other, like wild, wild country. Although this is more like, this is more of long lines of like something like Versace or one of those <laughs> shows. But, you know, the one thing you see, like, say, artistic liberty make the, the Oscar Isaac's character seem like this, like, super noble guy. But in, when you read it in reality, like, there's a lot of comments from, like, other political figures in this time and close friends were just basically, like, he just, you know, he had to do it because it was, like, the, they were the, cause the people were refusing to do it and the, the judicial, like, the courts were going to basically dry the city's funding, basically. They were going to, like charge him heavy fines for not you know complying mm -hmm. so it was more of like a you know out of necessity than rather him being a, a good spirited person so i mean i guess there is kind of flaws where you definitely sympathize with the main guy but i mean i guess it's always it's, it's more about the message than the actual story although i it does follow you know historic act, uh, elements but i definitely think in general it's right though like with with a uh, streaming you know you see something oh like what's that about oh this thing in history like maybe i'll check it out yeah, not that yeah. that's not that that's necessarily true crime but it's like you know historical and i think definitely you know inspires a certain type of person to look into it and and streaming services you know you're more freedom time wise and you could do whatever you know okay yeah uh like uh I mean, I don't really have anything left on that topic, but like that, that basically summarizes my thoughts. Like I would love to see more true crime related things ha keep happening. And uh, I think one of the reasons why I fell off the wagon for Gianni Versace was that it was on, it's on FX, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think like, just that like, um, at least in, you know, in terms of like uh, college students and things like that, like cable television is not like a huge thing. It's hard to get people hooked onto cable television. It's almost impossible to get people hooked onto broadcast television. So um, like, that's why like I've seen shows take off, but most of the time that a show takes off among people that are my age is usually through Netflix or Amazon or, uh, <coughs> or you have to be Game of Thrones. So yeah uh, like i think that's one of the main reasons why i fell off of it like if it was like a weekly show that happened on netflix i would definitely still be like dedicated to watching it but the fact that i had to kind of like tune in at the same time 
you know, just tune in at a time of the day for FX and things like that. I think that's what kind of uh, one of the reasons why like the show might not even get the numbers it's, it deserves. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't know if like putting it on Netflix would have gotten the same success it did. Like I think I think of like Stranger Things or shows like that that just like blew up on Netflix that they get released in the day of everyone's obsessively <laughs> watching it. Like I think it could have had that similar success, but I don't know. I feel like almost having it like when you go back to the Cannes Film Festival where it's like in the theater, you know, like it's more acclaim. Like like I feel like almost in a way like having it on the TV itself is a more like formal way of watching it like not even just being released once a week but on like cable television yeah so i've been i've been impressed with fx and i've done a great job with their uh their uh, shows they've been producing recently but i think part of it i think part of its success is also just because it was like that where it's like you had to tune in every week to keep up with what's happening even though it's, it's based in history you know what happens but it's just like how they do it is really what's the most impressive thing and that it could still like entertain and surprise you, even though you know what's happening. Yeah, impressive. All right, all right, yeah. No, I, <coughs> I kind of also see where you're coming from as well. Um, well, I think that's all we have for, you know, today's episode. We kind of went through a bunch of different things. Uh, summarize it. We let's see. We talked about the Cannes Film Festival banning out Netflix films. Uh, talked about Wild Wild Country, talked about uh, Gianni Versace and like, uh, oh, shit, I forgot. What's the name of the show again? Uh, the Assassination of Gianni Versace. Assassination of Gianni Versace. And uh, then we talked a bunch about like true crime shows and the possibility of like streaming frontiers and things like that. So, yeah, there we go. Like, hope everyone enjoyed tonight's episode. Because it's technically eleven fifteen over here right now. Uh, thank you, Matt, for tuning. In. I'm not tuning in, but like, thank you, Matt, for co-hosting this episode as well. Yeah, of course. Definitely talked about way more Versace than I than I needed to, but no, but it definitely led to like a it led to like a really interesting aspect of true crime itself. Like we talked, it's documentary TV shows and documentary things are kind of like uh, you know it's not a thing of the past, but like. It's been happening for a while now, but like this aspect of true crime TV is something that's just been happening over the last like year, year and a half, I'd say. Yeah. And in general, too, like I'm not a big reader, but it's cool. Like, obviously, like I can't be like, oh, I, I'm like learning history by watching. I mean, you are in a way, but like it's interesting to, to see this stuff. Like, I, like, I don't need to read like a full book on this. Like, I watch a few episodes or watch, you know, a documentary and learn mm-hmm. about some obscure thing or just not obscure thing but yeah i mean like definitely. it might not be the most historical accurate thing but it could get you interested in the topic and then you kind of do your own research and figure out the truth behind it like yeah, that's definitely of, been, been the case for a lot of things that i've watched yeah it allows you to enjoy it at your own leisure basically mm-hmm. yep 100 percent. well uh that's it for the night thank you everybody and uh see you for the next one Yep.